0: Now, let's get on with the show. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.
1: Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. Today, we have a wonderful guest, uh, Mike Warner, who has a really uh, interesting background, and he's doing some really interesting work. I really enjoyed talking to him uh, before we scheduled the podcast, and I think you're really going to enjoy this topic. Welcome, Mike.
2: Thank you, CJ. Good to be with you today.
1: Appreciate, you, appreciate your time, and um, you, what we usually do with our guests is we ask them just to take a moment or two to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, professionally, How you got started? You have a unique background as a clinician um, who's also, you know, jumped into the world of of coding and auditing and and patient rights and those sorts of things. So, if you wouldn't mind just taking a moment just to tell us a little bit about your professional uh, experience.
2: Sure, I am a um, osteopathic physician, uh, board certified in family medicine and also neuromuscular skeletal medicine. I practiced for over two decades in uh, the Johnstown, Pennsylvania area, specifically in the little town of Evansburg, which has 3,000 people. Most of that was with my physician wife, Margaret. And uh, just a couple of years ago, I made the switch from clinical practice to uh, heading a nonprofit that promotes patients' rights, particularly to access and amend the health record.
1: Yeah, that's really that's really what, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk a little bit more about today. Was because um, it, it's a really fascinating subject. You know, HIPAA was passed you know over twenty years ago, um, and a lot of people know about. I think the layperson at least and patients know are getting to the point now where they know. You know what, doctors, hospitals, they're supposed to keep my my uh, medical record and those types of things uh, private, right, and secure. But what you're talking about, um, and we'll jump into it here, is you know, patients have always had the right to amend and access their medical record. I think more patients are becoming aware of that. But you've really come up on a really unique aspect of that, which is, you know, can patients and a lot of our audience that will be listening um, are coders as well. So they understand things like in the medical record of history and physical and, and medical decision making. Um, but you have a really interesting um Project underway about patients co-authoring the medical record, and when people hear that, I think at least compliance folks, I think, wait, patients can't co-author a medical record.
2: Tell us, can they? Yeah, well, I understand where it comes from. You know, from a federal guideline, we're, we're, we're told that uh, that you know, like a medical assistant or somebody of that nature in the office can collect an HTI and past family social history, and that implies that you know, it's up to the physician to sit down there and and ask. Questions, but what's really interesting is that through HIPAA, particularly through the Privacy Rule, um, that the patient has the 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 right to amend the record. And so, what what we did, uh, particularly in research that we published uh, about this time last year, is that rather than have a person uh, given a a written authorization to amend the record, and then the provider you know take up to thirty days to decide whether you're going to accept it or, or reject it, we immediately accepted it. And that empowered us through uh, the, the HIPAA privacy rule for our staff to populate the medical record with exactly what the patient said, the patient's words.
1: Interesting. So uh, can you give us an example? Like, what are they allowed to, to, to put in there and what aren't they allowed to put in there, so to speak?
2: Uh, as far as the patient.
1: Yeah, the patient. What So, you know, you're talking about patients' right to amend their medical record and kind of co author the history a little bit. What kind of history can right. they directly put in? And, and how does that work mechanically, you know, in the flow of a, of a patient encounter?
2: Right, right. Well, when, when, uh, up until this point, there's probably a lot of clinicians out there and staff members that are saying, oh my God, the, the, the person's going to come in with like 50 pages of information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How can I possibly to get through that. But what we did is by. We, we came up with um, what we call a prehistory, which is just a replica of the history from 1995 to 1997 e guidelines from CMS. Okay. So basically, you know, chief complaining, HTI going all the way through from severity down to modifying factors, you know, what makes it better or worse. Right. Going through the history of present illness status and then going through past family social history. And because these items, this data has already been defined and structured by the government, we, we said, why not allow, why not encourage the patients to, to deliver that information exactly in that defined structure? Okay. So what happens is, is that when, when when you look at this information from the patient, you know, initially you're like, wow, it's going to be all over the place. But if the person's answering modifying factors, what makes it better or worse? You know? Right. Severity, how bad is it on a scale? What does it look or feel like, you know, as far going down the whole list, you know, magically... You, you walk into the room as a clinician, and rather than starting off with saying, um, you know, um, hey, what brings you into the doctor's office today? You know, which is such an open ended question. Exactly. Sometimes the person might respond back, uh, because you had me get an MRI last week because I had problems when I'm back, and like, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> what a difference the clinician is from, from an attorney who would, you know, prepare to go into court and right. know something about the person, you know? Right. So, so this this allowed like a quick download of the patient information in a case already populated in the record so that the clinician could take off. Now, the way we did it was um, we actually had a paper form, and so the patient submitted it and it had the legal stuff on there saying, you yeah, know, this is submitted as far as the privacy rule to amend my record as a written notification. And then the, the staff member would take that. They would scan it into the computer as a document, and then it would take the individual entries you know, which are all structured. So, right. like modifying factors and location and everything else. And type it in. It would take the staff member about two minutes to do this because we did our research study and we did over 250 people. Right. And, uh, and, and, and they would put it in there. And then bingo, what I would do is I would walk into the room and I'd greet the person, you know, hey, CJ, how you doing? You know, and stuff. And I'd be all sit down and say, okay, let me take a moment and see what you wrote here. And it would take me about 30 seconds to read through what the person wrote. And and then I'd be able to say, wow, and I could reaffirm, you're telling me this, this, and this are going on, and then I could ask deeper questions and then put those in and then go to a pertinent exam and then go to medical decision-making, which because of the time-saving and the efficiency of information readily transformed into shared decision-making with the provider and the patient.
1: Yeah, and what I really liked about your approach, um, and I don't know if, if our uh, listeners picked up on this, is you were very thoughtful. You and your group were very thoughtful in the way you went about this, and you actually did it as a structured research project. You went to an IRB, which is an uh, internal review board, um, to uh, make sure it's approved, uh, like all research is done, um, and then you actually published the results. Um did, you know, did any of this make a difference? So, what you kind of just explained, uh, I think, is really fascinating. And then you you measured the results.
2: What did you find? It was, it was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer. I can go back to the IRB experience, which was very unique because you know people said this is this is you know this is unusual. Um, no one's going to do this. No one's going to participate. And then even when I got all everything all done and submitted it for publication, I went through the same rounds with the editorial board you know, the journal where they're like, you know, this is, you know, I, I practically had to, you know, go through all the legal stuff and then show them. But um, what we did is we measured two things. We measured, we measured the, the, the patient experience and we measured the provider and staff experience. For okay. the most part in the paper, we talk about the patient experience. Okay. So what we did is um, we, we sent a letter-sized envelope to all of our patients who are on my family medicine schedule one week in advance. So that was that was the entry. So if you were on my schedule, bingo! When we convinced, we sent you that letter, and then it had the prehistory and also an invitation saying, "Hey, tell this out." It also had a um, a pre-survey questionnaire, you know, for experience. And our only what's really interesting about the study is that our only indication the person was in the study was when they showed up at their visit. They provide they. They handed over the prehistory. Okay, That's our only indication we had no advance warning, and we kept a fifteen-minute schedule throughout the whole period of time of research. Wow! Uh, so, so, it, it, and and what was really neat about it is, is that it made the visit so efficient that at the end of the visit, each patient was given a copy of the encounter note and a post survey, meaning that the moment face-to-face was done, the visit was completely done. I signed up on everything. There was no finishing charts later that day. or okay.
1: And then the patients, you said medical. the patients received the full note, um, their history, part of which they provided, but also the exam and the decision-making. Is that right?
2: All three key components, history, exam, medical decision-making. Mm-hmm. And then, the, and then the, 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 um, the, the surveys asked things such as, how satisfied were you with your experience at the patient in this office? Um, we, we, our, our post uh, gave us a 97%. You know, just beautiful. Completing uh, wow. the history, the prehistory form made me feel more empowered in my health care. Yeah. That one did really well, too. As a matter of fact, our p-value was less than point zero zero one. And for, you know, people in research, anything less than .05 is statistically significant. So that just buried it. Also down low at that number was I appreciated being given the chance to co-author my medical record And also, I feel that um, I was better heard and understood by having submitted a prehistory. I mean, you can imagine, you know, for most patients, it's the paradigm shift because, you know, they're used to going on their portal and seeing like their, their medical problem list, their allergy list, and their med list and some results. But to really go in and see the words of, you know, what happened when they expressed their story and what finally got documented, they had the chance to do this and they were able to recognize what happened. Partially because they were the co-author.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, as you're talking, Mike, I think, um, and I don't know if if your research showed any of this, but I'm just kind of my mind's going. um, You know, older patients, um, maybe not so much. But, you know, I think a lot of younger patients want to be more involved in their care. And I'm obviously painting with broad strokes here. There's always going to be exceptions. But is that something, like, I think... You're talking about the engagement that the patient felt, and they felt, you know, empowered in their care. I think these younger generations will really catch on to that. Do you, did your research deal with that at all, or do you have thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, it sure did. Okay, so here's what's cool. We had a let me let me address it in a little thing. Sixty-four. We had a sixty-four percent participation rate, which is which is pretty crazy. I was gonna
1: say that's great, 60%. isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. 60% of the participants were male. Wow. They were told by committees and stuff that men don't care about their health care. They're not going to participate. 60% were male. Now, I don't think that means that in this research project, men care more about their health care than women. I think what it did is it just more accurately reflected the, the the physician's schedule. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah. If I if I would have done this, you know, this is West, this is Western Pennsylvania. So if I would have done this during buck season, yeah, exactly. Many nails in the study. I would have made too so many males, You know, <laughs> right. And then, and then the other thing was our, our average age was sixty six, but our range went from age fourteen to 94, wow. and ninety four. Wow. Statistically, there was no difference in the age group for participation. Okay. The other thing we had with the IRB, they said, well. You people that are 30 or 20 or whatever, they'll participate, but the older people won't. We saw it right across. Now, we also encouraged people to enlist the help of uh, a family member, a friend, or a caregiver, you know, to complete the form. And, and you know, rather than rapid fire in the office, like, you know, go over this. And there were there were many cases where this happened. As a matter of fact, our two oldest patients in the study, the oldest, uh, female, 94, severe dementia, her granddaughter, who was also the caregiver and authorized personal representative completed the form. The second oldest is a retired nurse, and she's blind. So she actually had a, a caregiver uh, tell her the questions. She dictated them back to her. She felt it out. And then when I went and did a house call on her, the prehistory was all done. Isn't that cool? Yeah,
1: that's so, That's neat.
2: And, and, the two, and the two 14-year-olds that we had in the study, both of them completed their own prehistory. And it was really cool because the parents, you know, I, I was, you know, with the parent do it, but the parents both sat back and it, it was a neat experience to watch the parent watch their child engage right. at, at that level.
1: That's real. That is so interesting. Um, yeah. It, you, tell, you said how many total but, patients were there in the study? Sixty-three. Two sixty-three. Yeah. That's great. So, um, what? Tell me a little bit more about. Um, so were you the only participating physician, or were there other practices involved? Is this something that could be, uh, you know, tried again in, in other offices? Or, or tell me a little bit about the breadth of the involvement.
2: Well, for this particular study, uh, it, it was it was all with me. Okay. The, um, what, we're, what we're planning on doing this September, October 2018 in the Johnstown, Pennsylvania area region is having an eight-week multimedia campaigns, billboards, TV ads, radio stations, all that kind of stuff, newspaper, to encourage patients to participate. And uh, our nonprofit, Patient Advocacy Initiatives, is, is going to do our best to work with the healthcare systems and local doctors and staff members, you know, to know how they can accept this. I mean, you know, yeah, accept it. You can. You, you don't have to sit there and say, why are you here today? What's your chief complaint? The patient can give it all to you, and then you can move forward with it. So,
1: yeah, I'm
2: hoping that this is going to be, uh, you know, a regional uh, testament that would then, you know, be scalable. That that it might work out more nationwide. The other thing we're doing is we've moved away. I mean, we also have the paper uh, form on our website, which, by the way, on the website everything is free. So uh, tell us, your,
1: tell us the website. What's the website address?
2: It's called it's called PatientAdvocacyInitiatives dot org. You can also shortcut directly to the electronic prehistory by doing prehistory.com, P R E H X dot com.
1: So, P R E H X dot com is kind of the shortcut. Right. Um, that's really, really, that's I think, the, good information. The because electronic form. Okay, that's the electronic form. And and the website is, again, patient advocacy initiatives dot org. Did I say it right?
2: Yep, patient dot org. And when you go on that, over in the left-hand column, you'll see where there's paper and electronic versions for prehistory, as well as sample forms. We also have um, we have a we have an audiobook that's free, and we also have a bunch of YouTube videos that are instructional for it. So we're hoping that as we as we conduct this regional experiment, you know that all these support things that we have there at the nonprofit are going to help it go through because. You know, if, if somebody reads this and goes back to the provider tomorrow and says, "Hey, you know, I, I heard about this thing where patients can do the history," there's a good chance the doc will fall over. I mean, it'll just sound like it's going to just exactly bust things apart. Exactly, but, but but it's actually, you know, the the let the patient do the prep time and let them and let them, uh, let them participate, and it works out really smooth.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking of myself as a patient, I would love that, right? Like, I would I would appreciate being involved and I know not every patient's that way, but I think more and more patients you know today um, they're trying to read about their condition on the internet and this and that I think the involvement can really Im- improve um, patient satisfaction as your study demonstrated you mentioned that um, most of the study kind of focused on the patient experience but I think you said a little bit of it also on the physician experience. Any data there that you'd like to share on um, it sounds like maybe the the encounters went, uh, more smoothly, or quicker, or, or what other findings from the physician side? Well,
2: well, well. There, were, we 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 did add a burden to the staff in the fact that they would have to they would have to uh, work with the acceptance of the prehistory. Okay. So, you know, that that's something that's something we are asking staff members to, to to help you. Sure, help you. Now, now, the um, one of the first things that came out from from the staff surveys. Beginning, the end and then weekly, and say this should all be electronic. I mean, you know, why, why is it that the patient's pulling out this prehistory, and a staff member has to sit here and type all this in? Right. Which was a which, which was a great epiphany because I would say, why did why have we been expecting the provider to do it for all these years? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> which, which is pretty well, and, and and I'm not I'm not trying to say that you know. I'm, my time's more valuable and all this kind of stuff. However, we want everyone to work at the top of their licensure. Exactly. And I agree that this would be, this would be a great thing for, you know, if we can make this regional project work and we're trying to, we're trying to come up with a, with a, with a new um, uh, prehistory intake form that, that, that is going to be hopefully plug-in really nice so that any EHR that wants to hook on, and just hook on and take the download. And that way, you know, it can either be patient-initiated initi- and the staff member can say, okay, and push the download button or the provider can't, whatever, so that it takes everybody out of the loop. Yeah. And that way, the person who greets you at the office can spend time greeting you and out what you need and help you with your next appointment and all that stuff. You don't have to worry about this you know, mumbo-jumbo, right. but also at the same time, you know, for the provider, it, it, can, it, can, it can auto-populate.
1: That was going to be my next question, and, and you kind of anticipated... Yeah, you kind of anticipated me on my next question there with, um, you know, an EHR, with, with more and more uh, encounters kind of going that route. Um, so I think that's a really... That would be a really neat idea to see, you know, can patients do a lot of this uh, ahead of time electronically? It automatically populates... Uh, there for the physician or the clinician to review. Um, do you, do you foresee any any hiccups with that, or any kind of hurdles with an with, with kind of applying the same concept that you applied with the paper prehistory form uh, in an electronic world?
2: You know um, what's interesting. I, was, I was, uh, Apple, for example, has a whole bunch of vetting things on on patient generated data. And a lot of their concerns are over intellectual property, such as you know, if you if you open up a website, um, you know, like Facebook or something, am I going to go to the movies and, and with my cell phone, you know, take two minutes worth of the new Star Wars movie and then put it on the Facebook page, and that's a copyright infringement, right? You know, the cool thing about 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 patient information is is that. You know, the person's telling you how they feel and what's going on, the status of their chronic condition. You know, they're telling you about the diabetes, maybe their sugar, and how their feet are doing, and you, you know uh, whether they're able to exercise, how they're hearing their meds, or whether they're having any side effects. You know, that, that that all gets right back to the the patient's story. And what's really, what's what's really kind of endearing is that uh, uh, Dr. Larry Weed uh, just passed away last June, and he was the the the, the physician, the professor in the mid '60s who found medical records to be a disarray and came up with a SOAP note. And yeah. remember, S is for subjective. So really, by allowing the patient to tell their story, we're really kind of digging deeper into the, the patient's subjective story. And I think we went through a period of time where, you know, we saw this anecdotal, and now we're saying, wow, you know, there, there's good information. It gets back to, you know, Dr. William Osler, the whole thing of uh, listen to the patient, you know, he's telling you the diagnosis. Yeah. So, it's funny how things kind of come around. So like you were saying before, it's a little bit more of, you know, it's like a paradigm shift where patients and providers are all kind of looking at it in a little bit of a different way.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, um, we're coming a little bit uh, up to the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you kind of uh, one last question about uh, your your nonprofit organization. And you, you mentioned to me before about how it's really focused on patients' rights and access to amend. Can you tell us a little bit more about the organization and um, uh, and what your kind of mission and, and goals are for it?
2: Well, our our immediate goals, uh, particularly with this upcoming project, uh, which just, just because we do a prehistory challenge in September, October in the Johnstown area doesn't mean other people can't participate. I'm glad they look for that. And uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is through any of the YouTube videos, just ping, put a message in there. But our, but our goals are going to be to facilitate um, patient to medical provider communication and improve medical record documentation and content integrity. And, and what I found in my own life with, with as a as a patient and caregiver to my family, I mean, we've experienced stuff. on the kidney donor to one of my family members. We've had a whole bunch of stuff happen. Wow. That when we improve the documentation of the medical record, magically our outcomes, our treatment, and our care all improve. Yes, that'd be great. If, great if that happened for everyone.
1: What a great mission that. That's a great. That's a great yeah. story. Um. So you're in, in this eight-week campaign you said is going to be around September, October. Folks should go to your website to learn more. Um, Mike, you mentioned that if they need to contact you uh, through the, U- I guess you've got the YouTube videos on your website and they can connect with you that way. Um, listeners can always email me as well. And uh, if Mike's okay with it, I can uh, share that information sure. um, with you and, and connect people as well. Um, I'm kind of interested. On your website, do you, you you told me the title of the article where you published this research was "Use of pa- Patient-Authored author- Prehistory to Improve Patient Experiences and Accommodate Federal Law." It, which article or which journal was that in? If, if people wanted to read that article or find the research, what's the best way to go about doing that?
2: This is in the JAOA. It's the Journal of the American Osteopathic Association from February 2017. Yeah. But if you start putting a patient off their prehistory, uh you're gonna start finding it. And also, by the way, on YouTube we have a, a we have a series of five little shows called the Patient Advocacy Show. And episode one is inaccurate medical records. But but in that series, uh we talk about the plate of the patient, the plight of the provider and some solutions where the patients can get involved. And it's about uh Responsible Patients and Responsive Providers. And on there, we mention a lot of these things, like these articles.
1: Okay, great. A resource for people, too. Great, Mike. Thank you so much. This is a fascinating topic. I think um, I'd love to to learn more about it myself. Maybe we have you come back again, maybe in the fall after uh, this campaign. uh, We could learn a little bit more about how successful that was. Um, Really appreciate your insights and your unique um, approach to a a very uh, important topic of of these patients being involved in their documentation, um, how it helps their experience, how it helps the physician experience. Um, Just really appreciate uh, you sharing with us today.
2: CJ, thank you so much. You know, as a physician, but also as a coder, oh boy, this is really a fun project that can really help a lot of people. So I hope that... I hope it helps your audience.
1: Yeah, and I hope I hope uh, it will as well. I um, appreciate you sharing and uh, giving us the opportunity to share this really uh, unique idea. So um, thank you all for listening to this episode. And uh, until we meet again, uh, happy compliance.
0: Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit HealthTheCity.com.